1: It's podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today is a sickly Joe Bray. Joe, apart from your little lurgy you've managed to catch, how
0: are you doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'll apologise in advance because I, I probably sound terrible. and uh, But yeah, no, I've been full of the cold, but you can't really complain when there's a World Cup on. If, if you're going to be mm-hmm. sick, then be sick when there's football on every day and pretty decent quality football as well. So yeah, I'm uh, I, I'll, I'll battle through and I'll I'll happily talk about the World Cup and a, a bit of Man City as well.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I do hope, um, even if you're feeling a bit under the weather, that England have been bringing the sunshine down for you because they are through to the quarterfinals of the tournament. This is the first time we're speaking, I think, since we did our little preview um, a few weeks back now. And the less, the less we say about our predictions, the better. <laughs> but I think my optimism around England is, has largely been... Um, Kind of well delivered so far. They've they've been fairly pretty excellent in this tournament so far. Maybe not the best or most exciting football, although they're certainly up there with the likes of Brazil and of course France. But I think the way you know we'll get onto the specifics of Senegal um, momentarily. But just general um, in the tournament so far. This is your first um, your first time back on the pod since the preview. What, what have you made of them? Because I just thought they've been so. Kind of just efficient, no, there's just been such a lack of stress that we usually associate so much with England's um kind of performances. I know we had the goalless draw of America, but the, I know it was a dull Friday night, it's always it always seems to be the, the Friday night games out are the worst ones, just like Scotland in the Euros last summer. But you know, we never looked like losing that. We've conceded twice in the first game, um, a dodgy penalty and a you know, a good goal when we were already like 4 0 up at that point. We've not had a single booking in the tournament yet, so everything's just been managed to absolute perfection we're killing games off early doors and then taking it easy for over half an hour at the end of the games which is exactly what happened on sunday so you know what what your what's your thoughts being on england and the world cup in in
0: general well i sort of thought before the tournament that obviously england didn't have any warm-up games i thought they can use that group as the warm-up games i might have said it in the in the preview but i think we've seen that the the iran game i thought they were very good it could have been a lot trickier than it turned out to be usa was probably exactly as most people would have, would have expected and and then they were pretty ruthless against i mean admittedly a poor wales side but you can't really complain with that that group stage at all and then you can see that they've got the rhythm and the momentum now that they've got through um and played so well against senegal they've not really had a, a massive test yet i think france is going to be a completely new step altogether and it might be a step too far i don't know but um, I, I think the the way that he, Southgate has paced this England side through that group stage and, and last sixteen, I don't think England can have uh, England fans can have any complaints at all. And it, I mean, it was so negative, wasn't it, after the USA game, and people wanted to see a lot more. But I, I think I think he did go for the win. I think he he wanted to contain contain the game and then see what happened after an hour or so. And as it turned out, USA would. Proving quite tricky on the break, and he probably decided a, dra- a draw suits suits more than a defeat. And um, I, I think you look at the other teams, the, the other sort of contenders who've who've all lost games. Okay, some of them had qualified already, but France lost that last game, Spain did, Portugal did, Brazil did. I I'd, I think I'd prefer to be in England's position, having remained unbeaten. As you say, they had the best record in in the group stage. They only conceded twice. I, I think they're, they're probably going into the France game knowing that France will fear England as much as England fear France. And yeah, I, I think so much has been said about Southgate and England and how negative they were going into the tournament. And a lot of that rested on those four games after the end of last season, which I think we're both in agreement. We meant nothing after such a long season. Who cares that they lost four games or, or whatever the record was. I think he's he's done quite well to to probably shut a lot of people up and say, no, do you know what? Like, It was always part of the plan and we're not going to win every game, but when it comes to tournaments, England do perform and, and Southgate gets them going. And, and I think it's been very positive. And even if they do go out to France, I think, yeah, I, th- I think it's mm. sort of, I th- this will be a, a sort of uh, launchpad, I think, for England, like a, a new area, if you like, because we've got new players coming through and they've put that sticky patch behind them. And no, I think it's all been largely positive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I stat I had the other day, um, during the Senegal game, England have yet to lose a knockout game under Southgate within 90 minutes. I mean, that just shows how incredible Southgate is at tournaments. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say he's the best tactician or he's the best at kind of changing games off the bench. I think we've seen with that final against Italy, it was pretty apparent to me when I was watching that, that... We were winning, but we were so on the back foot. He needed to make a positive change earlier to get England a bit of um kind of uh, bit of a footing back into the game. Um Saka was the sub that he made after the equalizer and he should have come on 15 minutes earlier just to get try and get England up off the pitch a bit. So he's not the best during matches. Um I don't think anyone or even he could argue that. But the way he manages tournaments, manages squads, manages players, manages the press, manages everything. He's just second to none, than that. And in, in in the international space now in football, Luis Enrique aside, you don't get world class managers. You get Hansi Flick, who did win the Champions League at Bayern, but you know it was at Bayern. It was kind of a weird circumstance there, and that's obviously backfired now. You know, Belgium have had as you know, I don't think Belgium have been a massive failure, as we will get to. But Roberto Martinez is their manager. That like, there isn't a massive kind of dearth of quality in international football, and, and as a result, the tactics aren't as complex and as um, intricate. You don't need a good as manager as you know as you would do at a club level. I don't know. I don't think Southgate, if he went to club level, I don't know a what kind of level of club he could get to. But I don't think it would suit him very well. He suits international management to a T. And anyone, you know, admit if he wants to have time off, because I can imagine it's quite the ordeal and quite a stressful one. As we said, the the amount of stick he gets in every time he um, picks a formation or doesn't take who, you know, Jared Bowen or James Madison it would have been if he didn't go, like, I can imagine wanting a holiday and some time away from it, but if not, he should get a job for life, because we've not had an England manager who can manage kind of tournaments like that, and I, I'm with you, you know, we'll get on to France later on, but I am with you, like, if we, well, depending on how we go out, which we'll get to, but if you kind of fall on your sword having played, you know, some really good football and going out to a team that probably just as good, but have an absolute X factor in Killian Mbappe of course There, there is no real shame in it even though it's only quarterfinals but yeah it's, I've just been so impressed with me I think they're not having a book in it's such a such a unique stance to be in because how many times have we had suspension heartbreak with England how much has it defined the national psyche with uh, Paul Gascoigne of course so not even have that stress to worry about um, it's quite remarkable, and just shows how much England have been so comfortable. I'm with you the USA game, yeah, I, you know I, I was out I think I was I was in Whitby watching it with all 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 the calls away lot like big enough you know, big Friday night, and then you watch that, and you're like you' just fallen asleep after it, and it's a dull one, but it's a better to draw in a World Cup when you've got such a little room forever. You've seen Germany, Germany lose to Japan in this game, and then the pressure is on them immediately. There's so much. Uh, um, stress upon them, and they, they, they go out. Uh, uh, one defeat can be crucial um, and pivotal, and costly. And getting a point, even if it's a team, and I thought um, I was quite impressed with America at stages. And but I'd say it was a kind of a warm-up game against a team with a bit of bit of talent, a bit of attacking um, power. They could have, you know, Christian Pulisic gets a better touch on that against the Netherlands, and that you know we might be seeing America in the quarters so no shame in that even though it was a dull dull watch and they say come back firing against Wales and Senegal but kind of not just about England the world cup in general what's your thoughts it's been i thought it started pretty dreadfully the first two rounds of group games there was as we you know well discussed there was a lot of nil nils a lot of lack of quality probably to do with teams kind of getting the feel of it and getting into things but then um in fairness, the uh, the last set of group games. Um, the drama was everywhere for who would go through in the permutations. It was absolutely brilliant, some of those groups. I think we, we last talked with Tyrone just before the final set of group games, which were just as good. I think it was South Korea getting through in the, the last minute, and that obviously ended in tears uh, yesterday on uh, Monday. But um, so much um, amazing drama in those group stages. And uh, the quarterfinals haven't quite... It's it's been kind of uh, everyone as expected going through as of yet not really too I'd say Argentina Australia was probably the most exciting game so far but while that's been a bit run of the mill it has set up potentially an absolutely blockbuster set of uh, quarterfinals this week
0: yeah and I think the last sixteen lineup shows how entertaining the the group stage sort of final games were because so we're recording this today on on tuesday and you know you would have expected belgium to be there and uh you know spain should have been playing yesterday because they didn't win the group but the, yeah the fact that the those final group games were was so eventful it's it's really sort of woken the world cup up i'm, I'm with you it's sort of a slow start um you know argentina losing to saudi arabia and, and japan beating germany there, there's a couple of night like good results but largely it was fairly boring as you say and you know these 15 minutes added time on the end of each half like it, i i get what they've tried to do but it turns out we don't want to see that we we, we want to see sort of maybe five or six at the end of a game but nothing more than that um and yeah no the 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 final group games really did sort of capture everyone's imagination and the the fact that fifa are considering scrapping four team groups is they've just got to look at these games and think, no, that's, that's a very bad idea. Cause, uh, you know, how, how many days in a row did we have where the, the permutations were changing on a minute by minute basis? And, you know, that the the group where Costa Rica and Japan were going through for about five minutes and you know, it, was, it, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And that's what you want from a world cup. You want shots, you want some big teams going out, um, you want some big teams going through as well. And you know, I, I was uh, glued to my TV for for those games as as well. But uh, yeah, last 16, I think is maybe, maybe if those those games has taken the energy out of people, maybe it's been reflected in, in the last 16. Um, you can probably see as well the teams that did rest the players. So I've, I've said before that, you know, France and Brazil and, and Spain and Portugal and, and teams like that lost their last games, but they did make a lot of changes and, and we've seen how, how, how that helped france and, and brazil so maybe maybe it was the right right decision to do that for for those sides um it'll be interesting to see how spain and, and portugal play today I've, I've got portugal in two sweepstakes on so I'm, I'm hoping that they uh they go through because I'm, I'm resting on i'm resting on them um but no the the, the quarterfinals look set to be quite quite entertaining and it mm-hmm. should be like game after game of of you know world-class teams playing each other and, and that's what you want from the last stages of a world cup isn't it
1: yeah absolutely absolutely we'll see as you say today's last uh mm. quarter last 16 games i think the the two matches with the most kind of chance for an upset so we're very interested to see but we will get to them because there are city players involved in both matches but first of all let's you know as we as we started with this england <laughs> 3-0 win over senegal on sunday it was it was a slow start, kind of a worrying spell at times. John Pickford had to kind of make a really good, strong save. It did seem like England wobbled a little bit. I'd say they were trying to trying to kind of draw Senegal out and keep in possession, kind of close to him for half an hour to try and open up that Senegal defence. And then maybe it can't the maybe invited a bit too much pressure. Senegal seized it a little bit and went on the attack. Had a couple of good chances, but nothing coming of them. And then. A clinical England, you know, weren't at the best, but absolutely clinical and so much quality when they needed it. Um, two goals in the first half, one from Jordan Henderson, and then the second from Harry Kane, and then just after the break, a third from Bukayo Saka, killing the game off. And then it was just cruise control for most of the second half—a complete non-event. You know, we talked about England there. It was, i say, a bit of a worrying spell, and I'm a bit concerned if you gave, if if you give Mbappe or Dembele or Giroud or Griezmann those sort of chances, we could, um, it could be a very different complexion. But in that sort of game, England's quality, they were just clinical when they needed to be. They, they had the quality to break away. Jude Bellingham was excellent, as we'll get to, and comfortable winners, and it never looked like a, any other result.
0: I think, like you say, the first half hour, I was thinking, OK, this is a little bit flat. It's more like the USA performance than the, the Iran and the Wales performances. But I I, I do think England, are, they're not a 90-minute team, but they know how to keep level and, and keep in a game, which is Quite a useful trait to have, really, in a World Cup. But as soon as as they caught them on the break, and, yeah, uh, it was Bellingham going forward, and a lot's been said about Harry Kane, but that ball to set Bellingham free was brilliant. And, uh, yeah, again, a lot's been said about Jordan Henderson and and should he be playing, but I thought he was the right sub against USA to sort of calm things down and, and free Jude Bellingham a little bit. He deserved his place against Wales, and... And played really well and deserved to keep it and you you can't really argue with his place in the side and and that's one thing i think southgate southgate doesn't get a lot of credit for is he plays the players in form so we can say oh this player should be starting or this player should be starting we can't really claim that anyone should be starting ahead of henderson at the moment judging off of these sort of his last three performances and and that's the sort of tactics that that will help you go far in the world cup rather than sticking with a a set 11 which he might have done in the past but this sort of says to me that he's learning and he's he's saying right if he's working and he's he's sort of getting results and getting goals then why shouldn't we play him and yeah i think henderson being alongside uh declan rice who's sort of been quietly very good as well that's freed up jude bellingham so he he was sort of anonymous against usa but henderson has sort of freed bellingham up now and um, I can't get enough of Bellingham. I've I've not seen him that much so far in in sort of his Dortmund days, but I've I've I think he's absolutely fantastic this tournament. And it, there's always one breakout star, isn't there? And he looks like if he continues to play that way against France and potentially beyond, he's he's going to be the the real breakout star of this this World Cup. And I, yeah, I just think Southgate's got his sort of. Tactical changes, right? So he brought Foden in at the right time mm. when it wasn't working against Wales. He switched him to the right, uh, the the right wing, or as in the re- the wing that suits him best. Uh, yeah. And he's got what a goal and, and two assists now, Foden. Sure. So you you can't argue with that at all. He's he's kept Foden in. It was harsh to drop Rashford, but it worked because he brought Saka back. He's everything he's doing is is getting justified. And yeah, mm. I think he's sort of he's on a, a good roll of, of getting decisions right and uh anyone who wants to question him can't really do that at the moment i'm sure they will if, if they lose to france but at the moment he's uh he's he's had an almost perfect world cup i'd say southgate mm-hmm.
1: no i'm i must say like the probably the one complaint i would have had about southgate apart from kind of the subs thing as we've said but he's has in. him in is that he has kind of had his favorites and he, no one could blame him for sticking with mcguire even though we did kind of mess up in that germany 3-3 in september uh, but other than that, every tournament he's absolutely delivered for Southgate been excellent. But the likes of Mount and Sterling, while Sterling was mint in the last Euros, of course, I don't think Mount was particularly that very good in the last Euros, and that his farm has continued at his club and continued at the start of this tournament a little bit. And I didn't think he had it in him to kind of take Sterling and Mount out. Sterling, especially, Sterling's been such a kind of loyal servant to him, been so good, was incredible at the last Euros, and basically dragged England to that final but it, it wasn't he it wasn't doing you know he scored in that opening game didn't he I think um, but there's better I do feel like Foden, Saka, Rashford etc are just better options at the minute still and hasn't had the best best of starts um, at Chelsea not in the greatest of form of course um, wasn't available for the Senegal game anyway we wish of course wish him his family well after he had to return home after his house had been burgled but um, I didn't think he had it in him to so get to kind of drop those waltzes of his them favourites. And they say to take Henderson out I'm, at the start of the tournament, but he's brought him in, and every every decision he's made has been absolutely justified. They I say I, there was complaints about Rashford not starting, but I, I you know I think Saka and him have much of a muchness. Both have three goals each in the tournament. And having one of them in reserve, you know, and we've seen, you know, we watch United a lot closer than maybe a lot of other people. But Rashford isn't the best on the right wing anyway. I know his goals this tournament have come from that side, but I think the swap he did in that uh, Wales game was more to get Foden on the left than it was to get Rashford on the right because it isn't his best side. Rashford was kind of performing above himself on that flank. Um, so it's not starting there, I, I don't mind at all. And I say, I think what England have been really good at um, in recent times is when they've been ahead. Controlling games at that point, I, I don't have any stats to hand, of course, but out of recent memory, I, I'd like to know it in tournaments. I can't imagine, I can't remember many times they've gone ahead and then conceded equalizers or lost to games. And obviously, Italy is the big one, of course, <laughs> the that, Euros
0: final. It's that's the to uh, ring a bell, but
1: yeah, yeah they're like, pretty no, glaring
0: ones,
1: but. They're um yeah, issue as well, of course. But since, well, that's maybe something he's learned to do. I think the way England have controlled games and they've been ahead at this point and how five subs may make a difference as well and how he's used his subs, the likes of Phillips coming on and Henderson at one point and the, the attackers he can change, the defenders he can change. That's, Eric Dyer's come on a few times. The way he can take Sting out of the game so well, I think that might be an issue with five subs. How you make so many changes, like we see in pre-season friendlies all the time. Once many changes have been made, the rhythm of the game just gets disrupted and um, the sting comes out. But that's a great way for winning teams to kind of just um, kind of take any um, any threat of a comeback out of matches. And I think Southgate's been doing it to absolutely great effect in this tournament. And maybe that is something he's learned from that final. As we say, um, England didn't manage that match very well. They loaded it's, you know, especially when they were at home going ahead um, within three minutes of a final. They should have managed that situation so much better. But that's what you get. From experience. And I, I remember watching that final after we'd lost. And the first thing I said is we're gonna win the World Cup. Cause I just remember France did they? they lost they lost the home Euros, didn't they, to Portugal in ridiculous circumstances. And they went and what you know, from adversity comes a uh, comes joy. So I'm with any luck, we'll get that. But you know, the, the clamour, um, you know, which South has managed really well was for not for James Madison, as many might have predicted at the start um, with the, when the groups were announced. But the real clamour for the games has been Foden. And as you say, he started two games now. And in those two games, he's got a goal and two assists. And against Senegal, you know, he was excellent. His he's, he's pass for Kane to set up, you know, we'll talk about Bellingham momentarily, but his pass for Kane, and then I thought even better, his kind of drilled cross along the floor for Saka in the third was so good and he's... I think we've talked about recently and he's not really shown it for England yet. He's, and even the Seas of City, he's not been at his best. Guardiola's kind of laid the gauntlet at him a few times, but he's getting there now and he's really showing his absolute best for England, which
0: it's great to see. Yeah. It's, it's been sort of really interesting. And obviously there was that sort of massive hype for him to start, um, against, against Wales, wasn't it? Um, And he was saying, so he went out in the media and said he he sees his best position as a number 10. And Southgate replied and said, but we never see him there. And it it was sort of a departure from the sort of calm and collected Southgate. It was sort of like, he was quite baffled, really, it it seemed like. And he he was sort of saying, well, you want to play number 10, but you never play there, so I'm not going to play you there. I I don't completely get that argument because he does play a lot of players sort of in slightly different positions. But I think he feels with Foden that, he can't sort of trust him yet for England in that sort of central position. And as much as I think he would be brilliant in that position and I'm looking at Bellingham now and I'm thinking of, of sort of a future midfield with Bellingham we'll and get slightly ahead of him. That's, that's quite exciting, isn't it? But at the moment I think Southgate's probably been justified in, in resisting him in the center and only playing him on the wing and, uh, I can't imagine Foden really coming out now after his uh, goal and to assist and saying, actually, I still want to play in the centre because he's done so well on on the flanks. And it was like you were saying about the subs. I always think with England, the, prob- the, tactic, the general tactic seems to be contain for about 60 minutes and then bring on subs to change it because you've got Grealish, you've got Rashford or Saka, you've got players like Foden, and if you want, Madison, Callum Wilson's done really well. We've got a lot of players who can first of all tire a team out and then secondly come off the bench against tired legs and be quite ruthless and i think that's the best way to use this squad and foden might have migrated a little bit from being part of the group that comes on to the group that starts but if he's playing as he is at the moment and uh creating chances and he seems to have in the last couple of games really nailed down that left wing spot then yeah he can he can be he can have that position for as long as he wants i think and then at some point in his career for City and England, he will he will move into the centre. But at the moment, as much as he wants to play there and as much as everyone's saying that he'd be great there, I think you've got to agree with Pep Guardiola and Gareth Southgate in that while he's scoring goals and while he's doing stuff on the wing, why would you move him in the centre where he's got more responsibilities, more tactical sort of defensive work to do? If he's just allowed a sort of free role on on the left wing and he's scoring goals and creating chances and i think it's it's fairly obvious as as to why he's not been starting and it's a, it's another example of southgate being proved right and i did think it was a little bit tense with those sort of interview exchanges of where to where to play foden and why he's not playing him. but again he's he's sort of been justified in that and so's pep in a way really because guardiola keeps playing him on on the wing whether it's right or left not putting him in the centre as much. We've seen it a couple of times in in cup games recently, but it seems like both of his managers, and um, you've got to say it's the best club manager in the world and England's best manager in, in a yeah. long time, both seem yeah. as a winger. So, who are we to argue if 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 those two two people want to play him on the wing? No,
1: you took the words extremely safe. Like you can't call safe. for copying what is you know Guardiola is doing, and Guardiola yeah. is it? I can't remember exactly when he said it, but hasn't Guardiola said something like he just? Or the, the inclination's been that he's can't quite trust in there at the middle just yet because he, he takes, he's a an, an amazing player. and But to be amazing and to do the sort of stuff he does, he has to take risks. That's natural. If you played forward in the middle, you don't have that sort of control that you're going to do. Ambinados, De Bruyne's, Rodri's, I'll bring you there. All you know, don't get me wrong, De Bruyne and that can take risks and stuff. But not, you don't really see De Bruyne doing mad bits of skill every now and then and stuff he's mm-hmm. delivering expert crosses into the box or, you know, blasting them in like, he's not quite as um, expressive, shall we say, as Foden wants to be and is and can be because he's so good at it. But you, you naturally, if you're in that middle in the middle of the pitch, you're at risk of losing the ball when you do stuff that makes you great. I think we see um, Fernandes, I believe Bruno Fernandes having a great tournament for Portugal, but you see it often for him at United, especially before Ten Hag took charge. He was in the middle and he was taking risks because he had no one else in United to do it. He was he was the one pinging balls kind of wayward, trying to make stuff happen. And as a result, you lose the ball. And if you lose the ball in the middle, you're just one or two passes away from getting your lines broken immediately and mm-hmm. being on the back foot. That's a risk to play at the best of times, but to do it in a tournament when one moment can define, you know, one mistake can cost you everything. Playing Fulham in the middle just doesn't make sense, you know. I thought thought I thought, thought Safe starting with Mount and Bellingham in the same midfield was quite risky on its own. I didn't think he'd do that, and he has kind of correctly, I think, now brought Henderson in there because he just offers that little bit more solidity, not to mention kind of experience as well, and I know how of winning things. and And as you, as you kind of pointed out, there it has freed up Bellingham, but. Yeah, Fulden's hardly played in midfield the last couple of years. I, I looked through transfer market the other day because I was writing about this and I think according to transfer market, he might have moved there during a match with substitutes and whatnot. But if I recall correctly, he's only played there six times last season and then only once so far this mm. year, which was I believe in the Cup, as you say. So, Guardiola doesn't play him there at all much. He didn't he start there with Parma one game in the Cup? Um, it was I think Chelsea it was, game, I
0: think, yeah.
1: yeah. And that wasn't exactly the best either, was it? Like, He's been better on the wing. He's actually been better than the yeah. right wing for say this season. Yeah. Um he's actually been better on the right wing this so far this season. So the fact that he's doing quite well on the left again is quite a promising side for City as well, I think. But yeah, and I, I, you know, especially when you've got such a balanced midfield now. As I say, I think I said after the Iran game that Mount um Mount Bellingham and Rice looked really good. But just given that little bit of switch with Henderson, I think we look the midfield looks minute, I should say, Jude Bellingham, it, i I think it's hard to call him kind of a breakout star because We've known how good he is um, for mm. two years already, back in 2020 when he was seeking out his uh, move. You know, many of clubs wanted him. He chose Dortmund. Um, I think everyone who had the slightest bit of an ear to the ground knew that he was the next kind of big thing. But if he's, if he's not a breakout star, he's certainly letting everyone, you know, all the uh, uh, Johnny-come-latelys know that he is destined for absolute greatness. He was absolutely um, the, the first goal... Oh no, the second goal, wasn't it? He England have had players who can win the ball, they've had players who can carry the ball and they've had players who can make the right pass but rarely have they had one who can do all three in one so brilliantly. He wins the ball just off the edge of his own box, carries it 30, 40, 50 yards, picks the right pass to Ford, and he then gives it to Kane and it's an absolutely excellent uh, counter-attacking goal and then again, he, he picks the right pass to set up Henderson for the first one as well, add to his goal against Iran, the first goal, England's first goal of the tournament. You know, I think the, the question every City fan is asking is: Is are they going to sign him? As you say, the mid, the potential of De Bruyne and Rodri and Bellingham or Foden coming back. And, you know, I think what's good is that we've seen Foden and Bellingham kind of link up. They were both on the the left side of the field and didn't only link up for that goal. They were playing some lovely stuff for So that certainly bodes well. It's going to cost an awful lot of money, and with every passing England game, that fee probably goes up 15, 20 million City, it feels to me, it feels like the Holland one last summer where. They just see you look through the potential clubs who could afford him, where he would go. All of them have other stuff on, they don't need a striker, don't have the money, have to play elsewhere. I'm getting a sort of similar vibe to this now. There's more teams who need mid- midfielders, but I don't see any A who could probably afford what's going to be must be about 150 million, who have a good relationship with Dortmund as City do, who have the a of Guardiola, the guarantee of winning trophies, his best mate in Haaland there, who he played so well with at Dortmund, is there. The Premier League um, gives an advantage over maybe Real Madrid and whatnot. I just, if City want him, I just do not, I don't see why they wouldn't. I just don't see any world in which City don't get him.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know if if they want him or not, but I, I don't think there's any club in the world who'll be watching this World Cup and isn't looking at Bellingham and thinking he's he's the next big thing the next sort of one that everyone wants is, is going to be on the market and uh I, I mean you say there that we, we all knew what he was he was like we knew he was good and his record for Dortmund, for Dortmund is is brilliant but I think doing it on on a world cup stage at 19 and play and sort of dictating games as he is I I, I didn't think he was going to be this this effective so France is the next big step if, if he can sort of play as well as he has been doing against a, a midfield like like France have albeit a sort of second choice midfield but they're still world-class players if he can do that which I mean there's no reason he wouldn't uh I, I think like you say his, his price tags going up and up and up and Dortmund are going to be the real winners of this World Cup aren't they but um I'm looking at the city midfield and De Bruyne's 31 uh Gungan's 32 and out of contract in the summer Bernardo is out of contract next summer, is it? Twenty twenty-four. Yeah. So you, you're thinking, and once given go, that he's asked, given that he's asked to leave before, I, I I don't know. I you you feel like that might come to a natural end if he wants to if he's a bit homesick in Manchester and and that's absolutely fine and, and fair enough. That there is a a vacancy I think coming up in in the city midfield. I don't I I can't see anyone in world football right now who's sort of a better long-term option than than Bellingham and even if he does cost 150 million I know City don't like paying amounts that much and even when they spent 100 on on Jack Grealish that was offset by at least 60 million of of sort of incomings as well um, so that was sort of a one-off deal I I think 150 million is, is going to look like a bargain in, in a few years time isn't it for for someone like bellingham and, and the pet, the potential he has um but i can also see a team like um like real madrid going all out for him because imagine him in the midfield with uh and, and camavinga and, and they'll be looking at him for exactly the same reasons as city would be if, if city are in the market for him so now i think wherever he ends up will be one of the the bigger clubs in the world um and i can see him if it, he it continues the tra- trajectory he's on he's going to be one of the the best players in Europe, best players in the world and and a really, really key player for, for England going forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm completely with you. I think you look at City's midfield, you know, De Bruyne will be 32 by the time the next season begins. It's, they've future proofed their attack. Haaland, what is he, 21, 22, still ridiculous. He's there for their, well, their forward positions are sorted for the significant future, at least. Diaz is still, I know he's like a colossal of a man. And it looks like he's actually younger than me. It's a joke. But he's only like 24, 23 or something. Like, they're sorted at the back, they're sorted. Um, going forward. It's just that midfield is the one kind of position that looks... If everything went wrong, if Gundogan wanted to leave, um, say Bernardo asks again and Barcelona finally stump up the money this time, something like that. Um, City would never, you know, don't tend to stand in players where he wants to leave and the right money comes in, you know, and that money could be reinvested. Um, You're looking at only Rodri and, you know, Carlin Phillips, who has only played 54 minutes for the club as of yet, as the two midfielders under 30, who's like, who are going to be at the club still in three years' time? You'd imagine that's not City tend to kind of sort them, you know, try and move, get ahead of that sort of scenario, yeah. future proof. You know, we see it with Fernandinho. They brought Rodri in while Fernandinho still at the club for two more years. They look to kind of replace the player before he goes, and that's you know, um, you know, M. backfired with company. And when it uh, didn't go to plan with company, they lost the title that year after having the frailties at the back. And when it didn't, you know, it didn't backfire, it backfired with Aguero as well because he didn't get Kane, but he's eventually worked out with Haaland. So I can't see him making the same mistake as such a pivotal position, especially now Guardiola's future, secured for another couple of years as well. Bellingham just ticks every single box, doesn't he? And as you say, I, I, you know, I think we've seen players maybe as talented as him at that age, um, maybe even more talented, but a player who's 19 and is swaggering around that pitch with such kind of authority and swagger and just confidence. He, just looks like, he looks like he's a veteran who's been dominating it for 10 years. His decision-making is bang on. The way he surged up that pitch and broke the lines just in one fluid movement was excellent. And, you know, he's 19, he's still developing, he's still learning. Imagine him learning under Guardiola. It, it It's kind of scary for everyone else how good he could be. And as I say, £150 million for a player who's still got... You know, fifteen years in him. It's not a bad, not a bad old do that. 15. I don't think. I don't think. I, um, yeah. It, if City aren't in for him in the summer, I'd be very, very surprised. It looks like Liverpool and Real Madrid are the other two teams, um, most heavily linked. But you know, Madrid always somehow nice to find money down the sofa. But they don't seem me as being able to afford that amount of money. And Liverpool have never been one to spend. I know they've. They spent the fair whack on Nunes, but they never want to really compete for the upper echelons of players, are they? So, there's certainly going to be an interesting title race. And you know, who knows, um, how much that fee will be by the world cup's end. But you know, another kind of city player who's back in action and playing well, Kyle Walker, he came in first 90 minutes under his belt. What, what have you made of his kind of return? That's you know, there's been the worry of uh injuries, of course, in this world cup, and you know. As we've seen with arsenal they've lost gabriel jesus for the next three months which is obviously going to have a significant impact on the title race once the domestic football returns but city have actually um increased the number of players they've got because uh walker has returned and he's looked pretty uh pretty solid so soon after coming back from kind of groin surgery
0: yeah well he's not a lot to do has he against a Wales side who needed to win but didn't want the ball and didn't want to attack uh which was one of the more baffling tactics of the world cup in that game and senegal were quite adventurous on the break in, in the first half but as soon as england scored that second goal they were done really so it's he's, he's had two games and not really had to do much defending and the attackers have been doing the job for them um which probably suits him and city if he's been out for so long and can just have relatively easier games coming back the big test will be obviously against france and he's already been touted about five times as the only man who can stop Mbappe. And uh, I was looking um, yesterday on City's previous meetings with uh, PSG and when Walker has played and he's stopped Mbappe twice out of three times. So one game he scored, but another game he provided two assists. And it was quite telling that Mbappe seemed to move across the front line and try and get away from Walker whenever possible and, and get onto to, to Giao Cancello. So... England can put Walker at right back. They can put sort of Chippy there as well and, and go to a back five. But there's every chance that Mbappe will look to go on uh, on Luke Shaw where you would imagine he'll have a little bit more joy. But um, no, I think Walker's got a start in that France game, hasn't he? I, it, it will be interesting to see if he's a sort of right-sided centre-back in a, in a back three or or a right back. I, I don't know. I, I can imagine Southgate going to, to five at the back. But just with Mbappe there, you, maybe this is one where Walker does go on the right back position, and I don't know who else you bring into centre back. Eric the Dyer, maybe or Shaw there, or Shaw in and, there. and left left. yeah, there are options, and and may, yeah, maybe that could be um, a solution. But uh, at the moment, England beat Senegal. All I've seen is kyle walker versus mbappe is going to be the one of the matchups of, of the tournament but now it, it, looking at those city psg games it, it was interesting to see city basically doubled and tripled up on mbappe um obviously you've got messi and uh neymar to, to cope with as well but it they, they were the most effective and kept him out of the game the most um when they put two or three men on him at all times closed him down quickly um probably put a I think they played Rodri Deeper one game and tried to block that route across across the front line to for Mbappé to get onto the, the left back. Um if they can get that tactic right, they've got a chance of, of winning. And I would imagine Kyle Walker uh, matching up pace for pace is going to be key to that, whatever Southgate decides. Mm.
1: Well, you've certainly stolen me topics <laughs> for this next bit, but I'm sure we can re retread that and <laughs> As you say, as you say, next up on Saturday evening, England will play France in the quarterfinal, blockbuster tie. Of course, France got into the quarterfinal by getting past Poland in the last sixteen. As you say, you kind of touched on it there. The, I think the big question on everyone's lips is now: is like, does Southgate kind of stick or twist? Is he brave and sticks with? The 4-3-3, that's served really well so far in the tournament. What's looked comfortable, England. I think it's safe to say have been at least in the top three or four best teams in the tournament so far in terms of kind of attacking output. I'd say only France themselves, Brazil, and I'd say that's maybe it of the other teams who've been really at the really at the top of the game. Spain looked at it for a moment, but um, kind of fell back down a little bit. I'd say um, in the last group games. <clears throat> So does he kind of stick with what's done so well, or does he go back to that back three? Um, it's what he's kind of varied between the two systems for his six years in charge, and it's kind of really depended on if England are going to have more of the ball or not. If they're going to be the have the line share possession, he'll go for three, try and play on the front foot, try and get the goals. If he knows his team are going to have less of the ball, he is a little bit more conservative sits back and it served England well of course got us most you know got us to the semis of the 2018 World Cup only using that formation and used it a fair few times um in the Euros run and you know they're the last games before the World Cup they played Germany and Italy in the Nations League used it then as well so it's certainly still in his wheelhouse it's not as if it's not been used recently it's not been used in the tournament so it might be a little bit rusty. I, I, I'm with you. I think if he kind of goes to a back three, it'll be Walker probably in that back three. And I'd imagine Trippier coming in with Shaw on the left on the thought but I should say he could, he could still put Walker on the right. But to me, I think I think it would just be, I could understand him doing it. I'd back him doing it because he's earned, I think he's earned whatever he chooses. I think he has earned a degree of respect for his decision. But I do think now it'd just be a tactic admission that we're frightened of him, that we don't think we're as good as them, And we shouldn't be. You know, they've got Mbappe, of course. He's absolutely amazing. His goals against Poland were frankly ridiculous. I don't know how he gets such power on the ball from a standing position. It's frightening. But we've been just as good as them, if not better so far in the time, I'd say. And I think we've had fairly both fairly equal groups and kind of last 16 games. And we certainly dealt, I'd say, our last 16 match was a lot more comfortable than theirs was. Poland had a fair few amount of chances to really do some damage, and France only took the lead kind of later on in the game and really kind of served themselves. But I think, as I say, changing change of the formation. There's no need to be that scared. I think if you go out on your sword, playing well, going out swinging, and you still end up losing, they've got Mbappe. They've also got Griezmann, who's been excellent in this tournament. Then Dembele looks like a new player. I don't know how they managed to string him back together and he's played so well. (laughs) Giroud's now the country's all-time top goal scorer and has looked excellent in the tournament once again. There'd be no shame to going out to them, playing your own way and falling on your sword, as I say. But I think switching... The defense switching it to a more defensive formation would immediately give them the upper hand. Immediately give them the kind of psychological advantage. You know, oh, they are scared of us here. Let's just go and do them. I think England, pound for pound, are just as good as France. They haven't got Mbappe, but they've got Foden. They've got a world-class striker in Kane. They've got a great. I'd say the midfield's probably better. I've not been. I think Rabiot's kind of stepped up as well for France in Pogba's absence. But and Griezmann's had to kind of come deeper to give that creativity from deep. But too many. Well, world class talent I don't think is quite there yet. And I think they I think they can be got at. I don't think they're the best defensively either. I don't I don't rate Deo Upper Makano that highly. I think they can be got at. It just depends now if does he stick on the front foot, does he be assertive or does he take the step that he usually does in these sort of games and go a bit further back? What what do you think he'll do? Or what do you want to
0: see him do? I th- I think he'll go five at the back. He's he's done it before. When we've got to to the groups to the knockout stages, I'm thinking Germany and in the Euros, and then he kept that, and I think he just likes that a bit more control. And even if they get through and face, is it Spain or or Portugal? They're probably not going to face a better attack than France, so I can imagine him trying to just add another body at the back. Um, but then I'm I'm not sure what he'd do with the midfield because on form you don't drop Henderson. Rice has been playing well. You can't drop Bellingham, so that means that. Foden back, goes. Probably, yeah, Foden goes, and it just disrupts and the fluidity uh. and the rhythm that they've got up front. Um, Which is that So you're strength. probably going to have drop, to drop one of those midfielders just to fit everybody in. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a big week for him to decide what to do. It'd be very brave if he did do four at the back. Um, those games that I referenced that City played PSG, they, they did play four at the back albeit they had players like Laporte and, and Diaz. Um, I think Stones and Maguire have been very good for England so far, but they've not had any real tests. Um, and I would guess that France would fancy the chances running at them. Those two players, probably the, the weakness is, is running getting run at and, and having a lot of movement in behind. Um, you, you'd fancy the chance against anyone if the ball's coming in the box to to head it away. But on on the ground, maybe that's their weakness. So maybe adding adding Walker in there, seems to be southgate solution to to a team who are going to play the ball on the floor um because you can have walker as sort of a, a sweeper player as well using his pace as sort of an extra line of defense i i, I think that's what he'll do but i've got no idea what he would do it, with the forward players and and the, there's so many players who are playing well that you can't drop um if you are going to play four at the back then henderson and and rice on form are probably the players you want in defensive mid just to have another screen ahead of the defense and and stop stop the balls going in and crowd that area. So you could almost play a sort of accidental five at the back if you have one dropping really deep, sort of in between the defenders. Um, so yeah, no, I'll be really interested to see how it works and what he goes with it. It'd be a statement of intent. It'd be a risk, but it'd be a statement of intent if he did keep with the same same system mm-hmm. and say, "Lads, you've got this fire, You you've got." one of the best if not the best records in the tournament so far. You're as good as anyone else. Let's take the world world champions on and match them formation for formation and, and have a go. I, th- I think England fans would like to see that, but on the evidence that we've seen so far, I'm thinking the sort of cautious approach to the USA and he effectively settled for a draw after about an hour. I, I think he'll go for the more defensive option, but mm-hmm. it'd be nice, wouldn't it, if he, if he went forward at the back and and just tried to, to outscore them.
1: Yeah, that's it. I just think... You know, defence is our kind of weakest bit, I agree, but I don't know if adding more defence makes the defence better. It just brings, it just lessens or blunts your kind of, your massive benefit, which is the amount of attackers you've got and the good attackers. And I say if it goes to a back three, I think it's Foden who's going to end up making way because it's going to be the back three. It's going to be Henderson and Rice again because you can't drop them and you can't drop Bellingham either. If Bellingham playing, I guess, a bit further up behind, I'd imagine it'd be, I suppose he could do it for 3 and have Foden still on the flank and maybe Saka and then, but then you have to drop Bellingham at Henderson. I can't mm-hmm. see either of them getting dropped. So I imagine it'd be kind of Bellingham behind the front two of Rashford and Kane, and that's also seen Saka dropped as well. I suppose you could play Saka as a wing back, but it's not something he's been done for quite a while, and probably defeat the purpose of doing it. I suppose you get his pace, pace in there to deal with. You know, Dembele's is no slouch either, is he on the other, uh, the other side of the pitch? But I think your your four three three has been working so well so far. I say we haven't had a proper test yet, but neither of France. And France have lost to Tunisia. I know they made pretty much every change, but that just shows they haven't got quite as much depth as we might think. They um they struggled at times against Poland. As I say, um, if Poland had like a were a modicum a bit better, that might be a different kind of different story. I don't know how Poland got into got into the knockouts against us <laughs> because they're absolutely awful in their group stage and. And that just showed, you know, they gave them a quite a good game for a large chunk of it. So, England can certainly do it as well. And I think being on the front... I think if you kind of sit back, you would play more into France's hands. You give them more control of it. Give them the confidence. Give them the time. But then, also, you don't want to get caught on the break because they've got them back there. It's, it's a hard one. I don't envy Safe i say whatever he goes for, you have to kind of back him. It could work. But I think if he went to the back three and they lost, you know, if he went to the back three and they won, he'd be hail the genius, of course. But if they lost... I think he's just—he'd be inviting a lot of criticism, but I don't think he'd be thinking about that, would he? It's not—you know—he's not going to be bothered what anyone says at this point. He's just going to pick what he thinks is the best for the game, and we'll soon see. With any luck, I'm not going to ask you for predictions because I think it's too nervous to ask. I don't want to—don't want to jinx <laughs> and anything. i our kind of predictions isn't isn't great, no. is it? No, let's let's not talk about it. I think I did say in our preview that I, I thought I said Japan would be good value, and they were. So I'm going to take that as a little win, but I don't think yeah. that I don't think that was an official <laughs> prediction. Anyway, we will we will watch with bated breath and keep everything crossed that England kind of advance on once again. You know, elsewhere in the World Cup, it's been a, it's been an interesting one for cities players. I believe only two have gone home so far, but perhaps a surprising two. Um, Kevin De Bruyne is Belgium were absolutely awful and um, were eliminated in the group stage. After Romelu Lukaku missed three or four really good chances in their last game and drew with Croatia 0-0 to be knocked out by uh, who else was it in their group? Who went ahead of them? Was Japan it in was their group?
0: In Morocco wasn't in
1: Japan. It? Morocco, yeah, Morocco won that group and they we will be watching them with uh, a lot of interest later on today. And then <clears throat> Germany's Ilkay Gundogan um, also going home after they um, failed to to uh, flat to deceive went out in. Uh, Amazing circumstances to Japan in the end. After in a, in a group, but at one point Spain and Germany were both going out of because of Costa Rica, and uh, they did manage to beat the Costa Ricans in the end. Uh, we've got uh, but uh, a sad end for Germany, another group stage exit, and it looks like it may well be uh, um last tournament for the uh, for Germany. I think that their director of football has already been the first to have his um be uh, the first casualty of the failure. So it'd be a lot of change in Germany. You'd have thought, but yeah, De Bruyne as well. I think. A bit worrying. I'd, I'd say that's the one City player really hasn't performed at all. I, I, no, he's not in the the best Belgium team, but Belgium team that should have been getting out of their group. And I didn't think De Bruyne was looking that good in the tournament, which might be a bit of a worry, but at least good that he's now got
0: a few weeks off to get fit for City's uh, return to football. Yeah, I think if City were going to choose any player to have a disappointing World Cup, they'd have picked De Bruyne because from the moment he was knocked out, he had three weeks then to have a break settle his thoughts and, and get back for that Carabao Cup game against Liverpool even if he doesn't, doesn't play there he's basically got a month to to then prepare himself so De Bruyne's a player who can play a lot of games but City won't complain at all if, if he's got a rest and probably the second player after that would be Gundogan just for, for his age and Germany do rely on him a lot so um, I think obviously City won't want players to be disappointed and and have have bad times on on international duty, but to have both players only play three games, get three weeks off, not pick up any injuries, I think they'll be uh, quietly quite quite happy with that. And yeah, it, it was a bit of a sort of weird tournament from Du point. It sounds like the whole Belgium camp was an absolute fiasco and not on par with France in in 2010. But it, it seemed like it was just a, a the so called golden generation coming to an end. And, and by the way, has, has a golden generation ever? lived up to, to a tag. It seems like as soon as they labelled that, that's that's sort of a, a recipe for disaster. But it, yeah, De Bruyne was saying, I think it was a, an interview before the tournament that came out during it, and he said everyone's too old and that seems to ruffle a few feathers. And it was a bit of an admission, like he's your best player and he's saying we're not going to win the World Cup. And obviously only one team's going to win it, but every team wants to, and you've got to have that belief if you're going to go far. So it seemed the moment that that came out, it that was it for Belgium's chances and they were just, they've always been sort of slow and I've never been that impressed with them but they always have enough quality in the team because they've got so many good players to win. So, they've been effective even if they've not necessarily been that exciting to watch. This year, they were just slow and boring and they weren't creating the chances and the, there was times where they needed goals and they just didn't do anything and there's only so many times you can rely on, on De Bruyne to, to break through those lines but if he hasn't got players like City have Haaland running off him and Foden and you'll have a winger like Mares or Bernardo. He, he has options to A, create space and B, pass to. He didn't have that for Belgium. So I, I would guess that he'll sort of use these three weeks to uh, put it behind him. I, I think his wife just put on Instagram that they're in Lapland with, with, with his children. So that'll be a nice little break for him, uh, take his mind off it and, and then Come back to City and and try mm. and prove a point that he isn't too old. <laughs> I, well, I yeah, don't know
1: but you know, we we did say in the preview that Belgium had the old war horses going out again with Vatonga and Alderweireld, yeah. so he certainly had a point in that. I mean, I I don't think it's the end of Belgium. I don't think it's been such a failure. Like they've got what was it to the semis in the last World Cup and lost to the the winners in France, didn't they? And the Euros, they like they don't know. Not every you know. The, the chance for success at international level is so few and far between. It's every two years. And just because you don't win win something doesn't mean you're an, ab- an absolute object failure. They did all right for the team. They hadn't, they've been good. They've had some amazing attacking players, but they've never had a right back or a left back. They've, they've always been putting centre backs there. The midfield over then, De Bruyne, has never been, you know, it's like Fellaini going in there last World Cup and Euros and stuff. So, They've had a great lot of attacking players and a good, some good goalkeepers or a good goalkeeper, I should say. But I don't think it's ever been you know, I think they've done all right. Like they they came close a couple of times. They, if they had got England's route to the World Cup um semi finals back in back in twenty eighteen, maybe they'd have won it, maybe it'd be different. And you know, they lost to the, the 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 finalists or the winners in the, each time. So it was it Croatia they lost to actually in the twenty eighteen World Cup, wasn't it? So they've yeah. lost to the finalists and they lost to France in the Euros, I think it was. Or Italy, sorry. So like they've they've lost to the finalists, like they've done all right. And I think the 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 one time they did look bright in this tournament was when they brought in kind of the new patch when Doku came on and Trossard, players who couldn't start because they weren't the big names, because they weren't Eden Hazard, and they've played about eight games in the last four years. I don't know why he was even there. Um it just seemed so sentimental. When they played some of the new, the newer players are coming in. They look good, so I, I don't think it's the end of Belgium quite just yet. Um, but otherwise, in the city, plays still in the World Cup. Um, later on today, on Tuesday, Rodri and Laporte, Spain, will take on Morocco. Uh, Morocco. Morocco. Um, <laughs> a lot of people thinking there's a potential for an upset there. Morocco been really good in the tournament. What have you made of um, uh, Rodri being at CB uh,
0: so far in the tournament? Quite an interesting one. Yeah, City sent. Five centre backs to to the World Cup and six have played. It's mm. I, I don't know what it says about players like Paul Torres and Eric Garcia that Rodri is preferred there, but it it just shows how good Rodri is that uh, Luis Enrique feels he can't be dropped at all. But it's understandable that Sergio Busquets is preferred in that that holding role, and uh, I mean we've seen at City that two holding midfielders in a team that plays like that isn't that productive. So I can understand why he wouldn't play. Rodri ahead of Sergio Busquets, I can understand why he wouldn't drop him. So central defence is probably the next place and he gets, he'll obviously have a good relationship with Emeric uh, Laporte and he seems to have done well and I, I've been impressed with Spain. I think they've been quite good. I think against Germany, they were the better side and again, knew that a draw suited them. So so went with that and um, yeah, Morocco have been good, but I would expect Spain to win that one.
1: Then, uh, and then later on today, uh, in the th- evening match, uh, Cancelo, Diaz, and Bernardo's Portugal will come up against uh, Akanji, Switzerland. Uh, that should be an interesting one. And uh, in, uh, the final day of quarterfinals, and that's where Ilyan Alvarez, Edison, and Ake all still in the tournament as well. You know, Ilyan Alvarez has had a has had a good tournament, hasn't he?
0: Yeah, and I, I wrote the other day that he seems to be the key that's unlocked Lionel Messi. I know Messi scored and created a lot of chances in that. That first game, the defeat to uh, Saudi Arabia, but um, he, he then scored a brilliant goal against um, Mexico, was it, to to set them on the way. But in the last two games, Alvarez has come in, played on the wing and he, as we've seen with City, he does all the running. He's so unselfish and he's just, he seems to be a perfect foil for, for someone like Messi and he scored a fantastic goal against... Um, against Poland a real poachers goal against Australia both turned out to be the goals that ultimately sent sent Argentina through and you feel like it's his place to lose now because Di Maria has been predictably underwhelming uh Lautaro Martinez hasn't hit the heights. so he scored about five goals in that that first game but all offside um and it, yeah it seems like Martinez and, and Messi is uh, sorry Alvarez and Messi is the uh is the combination going forward and I, I, I just really like watching Alvarez. I think he's, he's in such a weird position where if a club and country is behind two of the best players in the world, otherwise he'd be starting pretty much every game. But he seems to just not complain, put his head down, get on with it. And uh, I sort of asked a rhetorical question the other day in a piece of, is there a better sort of second striker in the world, a better backup striker than, than Alvarez at the moment? Uh, I'm open to suggestions, but I'm, I'm not sure because he seems he's, he's averaging a goal every like hundred minutes or so. He's creating chances. He's always ready when called upon. I think he's uh, he's a very useful player, and it'll be stronger at City for uh, for his performances at the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And speaking of
1: City, let's finally kind of leave <laughs> Qatar for now and return to Manchester because we do have a big match this weekend in uh, the Women's Super League. As uh, It'll be the Women's Manchester Derby on Sunday at the Etihad Stadium and already over 40,000 tickets sold, Joe. This is going to be um, one hell of an occasion. A great uh, it's, um fell on a perfect date for it. United played at Old Trafford on the weekend as they smashed Aston Villa 5-0. So good that both clubs are taking advantage of the men's team being... Otherwise engaged to give the the, the women's sides more um, exposure and chances to play at the, at the at the you know the big stadiums rather than at Lee Sports Village in United's case and uh, the City Football Academy in Cities. Um, it's look, looking like it'll be a great afternoon, a full house, um, yeah, and hopefully a, a win for City.
0: Yeah, Cities started the season with a couple of defeats, but they've they've really bounced back, and uh, I, th- I think they're on a, a quite tidy winning run now. They've obviously lost quite a few. Infl- influential players in the summer, uh, players who have experience of, of beating United. I'm thinking Caroline Weir and uh, Kira Walsh, Lucy Bronze, Georgia Stanway. But the players that they brought in have, have sort of quietly uh, gone about the, the jobs. And it's a new look city, but they're, they're starting to win again. And uh, Bunny Shaw is, is banging the goals in and it'll be a great, great uh, occasion. And I'm, I'm looking at the record WSL attendances uh, all set this season. And, um, if everyone turns up and I think sometimes they they sell all these tickets and not everyone turns up. um, But if everyone turns up, they've got a chance of going uh, second in the all-time WSL uh, attendance list. That was set a couple of weeks ago when United won at at Arsenal and that was 40,000. And then earlier this season, Arsenal against Tottenham was 47,000, which could be beaten. And that'd be a, a real statement for women's football in in Manchester. It's it's set to be the biggest domestic game in in Manchester for for women's football attendance wise. Anyway, there was obviously the first game of the Euros at Old Trafford, which uh, probably won't be beaten. Well, it won't be because Etihad only holds mm. fifty five. But um, no, the, there's a there's a chance of the record there. Um, I mean, United have will have played. Again, in front of a crowd of forty thousand against City, they've just had thirty thousand at Old Trafford, and then forty thousand at Arsenal the week before. It's it's great to see that you mm. know the the winning sort of feel from the the Euros is continuing and, and going into the the WSL, and it, you know it's great football to watch. And United have been really improved as well. They mm. they've uh, beaten Arsenal the other week. They're uh, doing really well towards the top of the table. They're ahead of City, uh, so they oh, might yeah. be able to get the first first league win over. Over City, so uh, I think it'll be a, a great game, and uh, I'm I'm away, but I'm good. I'd, I'd love to have been there if, if I could. Mm. Uh, they're always brilliant occasions.
1: Yeah, likewise, likewise. You know, it's, it's set yeah. Uh, regardless of the kind of the importance of the occasion, in terms of where it's been held and the attendance, it's, it's set to be a really crucial game in the in the Super League. Yeah, both have played, both have played eight matches. City, as you say, two early defeats mean they're on eighteen points, so down in fourth. Whereas United, perhaps a bit surprisingly, have had a really great start to the season um, and a, a three points ahead of City. So a win for City would kind of drag them level on points with United. And well, I don't know who Arsenal are playing at the weekend, but they're also on twenty one points all behind. Uh, leaders chelsea who have played a game more but around 24 points so a really important match they say united have been um in a great form this season uh signing former city player nikki to paris in the summer who's had a great impact elatoon of course big up tells the girl Mm -hmm. um but uh still carrying on with her great form. alicia russo banging him so it should be a, a really competitive match and you know i think we watched we went to a match last season together. when I mean, United weren't quite on City's level at that point. City ended up quite comfortable winners at Lee Sports Village. But it's, it's good that United are kind of levelling up to make this derby a real competitive one.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a City podcast, so we can't say, we can't hmm. praise United too much, but they have done really well. They've, they've bought really well in the summer. Um, the, the players, like you mentioned, Toon and Russo, have really built on their brilliant performances for for England at the at the Euros and they're turning into some of the best players in the league and uh, united are getting better season by season and it'll be it'll be interesting to see how how city get through because they've relied on those those players that i mentioned those sort of england players and uh, caroline ware as well who always scored a worldie in, in the derby and they're not there anymore so it'll be up to the the new look team the sort of there's quite a lot of t- uh, players who've come over from spain so yeah, we'll, we'll see how, how that affects it. But I, I think this is United's best chance of getting something. So mm. if City do have 40,000 fans behind them, then that'll really help them try and, and get back. And if they can, they can win, like you say, the makeup of the table, it, it'll really put them back into contention.
1: Mm-hmm. That kicks off at 12.30 on Sunday afternoon, so make sure you keep everything our eyes on Manchester Evening uk for all the coverage from that game. And finally, just to kind of end with the City first team, the men's team, uh, they have headed off to Abu Dhabi as of yesterday for a spot of warm weather training. A 19-man squad, Pep Guardiola has taken along with him. The, the main names in there are Erling Haaland, Stefan Ortega, Riyad Mahrez, and Sergio Gomez, in terms of on oh, Cole Palmer, of course, in terms of kind of outfielders, recall Lewis as well. Um, Scott Carson and uh, yesterday Stefan Ortega making the trip. And then it's a, a few uh, youngsters making the trip as well. Um, Stefan, uh, it's not Stefan, what's he called? Carlos Borges has made the trip. He's very intriguing to see if he kind of can impress Guardiola after his excellent start to the season. Um, any more kind of names sticking out to you there? I think the the, the main headline for me is that. Joshua Wilson-Esbrand has not made the trip. He's been on the bench a fair few times this season. I'm not sure if he's injured or not, but I'm wondering if he's maybe fallen down the pecking order of late. I think I remember watching when City, um, City's under-18s uh, absolutely trenched um recently, or the EDS, my apologies, and Wilson-Esbrand was probably the one player in that game who didn't play that well. I'm wondering if he's maybe slipped down the pecking order a little bit.
0: Yeah, there's no... Uh... Direma Mabude either who's, who's been in really good form and um, I'm trying to find out where they are but um, my, my guess will be injury because of the players that have taken the space to take them and uh, you know the, this is a chance for them to to impress the, the manager and the first team coaches and I think that's what will, will be useful Guardiola isn't going to get any sort of big tactical ideas across because most of his first team out there but what he can do is look at these players who've been playing well for the for the EDS and and see what they're like in a first team setting and give them some sort of one-to-one coaching. And that could be really invaluable for, for those players as well as obviously getting a point across to the likes of Harland and Mares and people like Mares and uh, Sergio Gomez could do with a bit of a, a boost and if they can have a week training just on their own, a bit more personal one-to-one training, as I say, that could help them as well. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the names. I, I think Shea Charles, Oscar Bob, um their sort of players and Carlos Borges who've been sort of familiar faces in in first team training but maybe not yet made that permanent step up to being in faces in the uh, match day squads they they can hopefully make a, an impact as well and then you've got some really young players Kean Brecken in midfield I've been quite impressed with but I think he's only 17 he's a he's a young lad and got a lot to a lot to go Will Dixon is not a typical city striker he's tall wins a lot of headers more of the Liam Delap Type than a sort of uh, Julian Alvarez or Sergio Aguero mould, but he's scoring a lot of goals and he's, he's fitting well in the system and give him a week training with Erling Haaland and he could, uh, he could do really well and it's a reward for, for a good start to the season. Um, and then there's a couple of names like Finley Burns, Alex Robertson, um, Morgan Rogers, who might not be first team candidates anymore, but they're still there. They're still at the club. They're still performing well. Um, and, and any experience they have training with those first team coaches and players of Haaland's quality has has got to be a positive. So no, it's it's an opportunity for those players that if they make an impact, a bit like Rico Lewis did in the summer, um, they might get the chances. And because Guardiola is always watching, always looking for players, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of fixtures coming up, um, and City only the whole squad and, and maybe even some of the academy. So yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see how those those academy players come up. Yeah
1: absolutely there's no friendlies um, announced as of yet we don't know if they'll play something behind closed doors perhaps or anything like that but it's not like United who have already announced two friendlies against Cadiz and Real Betis in their kind of training trip over in Spain but I say that the city had no shot absolutely got no shortage of games coming up and um, once the fixtures resume on 22nd of December the <laughs> they resume and the resume hard they've got Liverpool in that Carabao Cup which of course will be quite an interesting one given um the the squads that could be available to both managers. But then after that, from December 28th from until 22nd of February or so, City will play Leeds, Everton, Chelsea. Chelsea again in the FA Cup. Then you, all, This is all in, in the correct order, by the way. Then they'll have the, um, the, the away Manchester derby against United. They'll place Tottenham at home. Then they've got Wolves. Then they've got Tottenham again um, away. Then they've got Villa. Then they've got Arsenal. Um, the first game against Arsenal. We don't know when the second one will be rescheduled as of yet, so who knows if that gets stuck in so some random day in this little... Uh, that is the rescheduled little... one, that one. Oh, is that? so? Oh, so yeah. the other match is up in April then, isn't it? Right. Right, so the yeah. first Arsenal game, then you've got Forest, and then the Champions League starts at RB Leipzig before um, the month's rounded off with a trip to Bournemouth before March begins um with Newcastle coming to the Etihad. That is an absolutely hectic and difficult run of fixtures. That'll definitely be the making of a City season
0: and there could be a uh, potential fa cup fourth round game potential carabao cup quarter final and two-legged semi-final in there as well so all all in january when they're playing chelsea united tottenham and arsenal they could feasibly play one of those sides uh one or two more times so uh that's gonna be uh gonna be interesting and if city are gonna do anything this season then that that month is gonna really define how they do and uh the manner in which they do it.
1: Absolutely, fingers crossed that there's no injuries now. Then in the World Cup, because who knows how uh, vital they could be. As, as I said earlier, Arsenal have picked up a horrible injury for them. Former City striker Gabriel Jesus looking like he's out for three months and will require knee surgery. Joe, does that have such a significant? You know, I think this is where I think I wrote um, yesterday or the day before. This is where we'll see kind of City's advantage over Arsenal. That City have just so much strength and depth. So much quality, so many players who could play in different positions. Whereas Arsenal have got a strong start in 11, but once an important member of that kind of spine, you take it out, they haven't got an awful lot to come in. Eddie Ketia is their only other striker. Um, a horrible injury for anyone to have, and we hope Gabriel Jesus gets fit as soon as possible. But it's certainly something that plays in City's favour in the
0: title race. Possibly, but I think... Jesus has missed a few games already this season, and Arsenal are still mm. five points ahead. And I can't imagine Arsenal have a tougher fixture list than than City having <laughs> in the first six weeks of of the resumption of the season. So, um, if, if if Arsenal can just keep that lead, get through those periods, that those two head to head games against Arsenal are going to be really important. And who knows? I, I I don't think we're in a position to write off Arsenal anymore. And it's a blow to lose Jesus, but. Um, I think they can cope and I think that they could fairly, it's fairly realistic to see them still being ahead after that period just because you you can't, if City get through those games and get maximum points then they're done absolutely brilliantly.
1: Well, we'll soon find out. But before then, of course, there's plenty more World Cup to go and you can keep up to date with all the latest action um, in England games and how all of City's players are doing over in Qatar as well as the, the players not at the World Cup, how they're getting along in their training camp in Abu Dhabi, all over on the Manchester News.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. All the latest episodes and episodes of this podcast and the latest articles will be posted on Twitter as well at Man City MEN and you can get all the latest updates on our Facebook at dash manchester Evening city That's it for today's episode of the Talk is City podcast, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. Myself and Joe are both enjoying some well-deserved time off next week to go and watch England, hopefully go and lift that World Cup. So we might not be back for another episode until after the final, but hopefully when we do return, we'll be coming back and we will be having quite the party on this here <laughs> podcast. But until then, everyone, thank you very much once again for listening and we'll see you. Um, hopefully, not too long of, uh, to not in the Bloody hell, I've absolutely messed that one up there. Uh, i doing it so well in the outro and then tripped up at the last hurdle. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you soon. ta